we are finally we're we're broadcasting from the teeth of a correction yeah taking a full bite out of it in this market right carl yeah maybe uh maybe the apple will have some extra nibbles on it <laughs> right. after all of this yeah, yeah, I, I always think it's important for us to get out in front of everything. Uh, obviously, let clients hear from us and our perspective, specifically when there's enhanced volatility and not just you know kind of what's going on with the Fed, but obviously what's on the top of everybody's mind is World War III around the corner. Is it going to be a little bit more contained? What does it mean from a market perspective? Um, so let's kick off there, right? Let's kick off with where we're at, uh, you know, as of today. What we kind of know, uh, obviously, Russia has invaded, formally invaded Ukraine. We know that the, the president came out and and, and discussed uh, some of the sanctions, mostly financial sanctions with regards to banking institutions, uh, nothing personally directed towards uh, President Putin, um, and nothing you know directly related to uh, the exporting of oil, which I thought was interesting. We talked about that a little bit today. Right. I mean, I, I guess the people think a little bit differently about that and whether sanctioning oil helps or hurts. I mean, if they if they did it, it'd probably make the price of oil go up. They right. wouldn't, you know, Russians wouldn't be able to sell it to Western countries, but who knows, they might be selling it to China or the Middle East. So it sure. might actually help them. So I think they're uh, they're being cautious and in, um, in not doing that and, and seeing how the financial sanctions go so far but um but we've been in in this this correction since the beginning of the year right. it didn't start to become really clear until later in january and so we got some real volatility and it's it's really just based on continued high inflation and also uh the expected path of fed rate hikes going up faster than, than people expected. And, yeah, and now mean, we've had this Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, layered on top of it, kind of making it hard for there to be any rallies. And you know now we're at kind of a new low and bounced off of it today. Yeah, and, and a lot of it has to do with uh, some of the hot air finally being let out of the balloon, right? You look since 2020, we, you know, we haven't had really a meaningful correction in the market. I think all of last year, at the lowest point, the S and P 500 only was down five to seven percent, um, which is really extraordinary. Thinking that that's almost two years, a little over two years ago, um, since March of 2020, almost two years ago since March of 2020. So it was definitely building up. You had a lot of froth that was entering into the market via the SPAC market, um, and then you throw in high valuations, uh, a little bit of uh, aggressive potential moves from the Federal Reserve in raising rates to combat inflation. And then, you know, the whirlwind of, uh, you know, a potential invasion, which then uh, evidently, you know, led to an invasion. Um, and it's almost that perfect storm to actually give us those, those corrections, which we see typically every seven to 10 months. Now, I know yesterday the NASDAQ touched uh, bear market territory being down 20% from its all-time high that quickly snapped back today. I got to tell you, I was, I was up late last night. Looking at those futures markets, um, once you know it was official that they were invading Ukraine, and uh, I was I was really shocked today at the at the reversal. Um, whether that's you know forceful buying or implicit buying on some of the names that were just you know absolutely destroyed, uh, you know it was a it was a completely different feeling from you know nine o'clock last night to nine a.m. this morning. 
Right. But still, it's hard to know if it really means much. Right. Because it was just like January 24th, exactly a month ago. Yeah. That day, uh, you had volatility, big sell off in the morning, and things reversed later in the day. But then things continued to be volatile. You know, we had some, some rallying going on, but here we are back down at those levels and, and, and lower earlier day. So, um, you know, you can't really judge what will happen with corrections while you're in them. You can use history and that's what we've done a little bit. When you go back and you look at the history of corrections, you often have a few shallow ones in the 10 to 15% decline range uh, in a business cycle. And then, you know, as you get later, you tend to have the bigger ones that are closer to 20%, but you don't usually get anything beyond like a 15 to 20% correction while the economy is still strong while you, sure. before you've had any fed rate hikes. So that's why we think we're closer to the bottom on this one. And we're not at the beginning of a big decline or a crash yeah. or a bear market. Yeah, and, and just to circle back to Russia and, and talk about those sanctions again, you know, really this, this, you know, and I'm not trying to get political, but the administration's in a very unique spot right now, right? They've they've lowered uh, production in the United States over the last uh, year or so. Um, that's not helped with the supply demand imbalance that we've just had coming out of COVID in general. And you know, we were looking up a statistic where. You know, if we projected last year's average price per barrel of oil was roughly 50 or 60 bucks, we import, you know, 17 million barrels a month um, from Russia. That leads us to, you know, 12 billion of funds that we're sending to Russia every single year. And if we use maybe this year's average price, that could be almost double that, you know, somewhere closer to 20 or 24 billion. And I was just made the comment to you about the uh, the moral high ground of you know maybe not doing that, but still sending money that way because if they put those sanctions on, you could see a lot higher uh, price uh, at the pump as well as price per barrel of oil. I mean, it could shoot up dramatically if if we were you know out 17 million barrels a day, and the strategic oil uh, reserve isn't enough to offset that, even if they relinquish some of it. Right. Well, we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah. Maybe at some point in here, we'll we'll eventually get really serious about hitting Putin where it hurts and yeah, you know, sanctioning and, and, the oil. And now you sent me a chart on uh, which I want to share real quick about previous uh, wars. And uh, I guess this is tell us what this what this chart is, Carl. This is a chart of the S&P 500 going back uh, to the 1920s, really over the last hundred years and all the different wars that have been in the world. Now, granted, you know, you haven't had a big one on U.S. soil, right? so that, that's a key thing here, but you've had a lot of wars. You've had, it seems like about a few every decade right. somewhere in the world, and they haven't really derailed markets. They haven't, they've created maybe a little bit of volatility initially, but it hasn't really done much to the overall trend. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and it's, if it's not this, it's something else, right? There's always something in the headline that causes investor behavior. And that's why, you know, when I try to talk to a lot of clients, you know, some of our biggest jobs is being a behavioral coach, right? Helping them avoid making mistakes at either selling things because of fearful headlines 
And you can even overlay this, this chart with a number of different headlines, uh, just even over the last decade of reasons to really sell and get out versus staying you know, with the plan. So the point being essentially is, you know, wars or conflicts are, you know, going to continue to be here, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, hey, this is the big one that is going to cause the market to, to absolutely tank. And right. to- they don't really affect economies and corporate earnings that much because there's a lot of spending uh, on, you know, on the military, uh, industrial goods, right. energy, in a war. And then there's the rebuilding that comes afterwards. Sure. Yeah, it's it's important to relate, though, what, what this kind of means for inflation and kind of where the Fed's at, right? So the Fed has two dual mandates, control inflation and uh, full employment. Uh, well, they've done one of those, which is full employment. They haven't really controlled inflation. Obviously, we've talked about this before, where we think that, you know, over the course of, you know, a certain period of time that inflation will start to taper off as the supply demand dynamics kind of get back to parity and you start to see a little bit more return to the service oriented economy versus this massive demand for goods that we saw over the last two years that haven't been seen on a global scale in, in history. Um, but how does what's kind of going on over in, in Russia and Ukraine maybe throw a wrench into um, inflation projections, at least in the short term? Well, it just means we have to be a little more patient on you know, how we're going to assess what happens with inflation and how we're going to respond to it. Because now, now that you have a, a military conflict there and we don't know if it could get bigger, you know, energy prices have already reacted to that and gone mm-hmm. up and they probably will stay a little more elevated for longer than they otherwise would have without this. And then uh, they also grow agricultural crops in that part of the world. Right. Uh, Ukraine is a, is a big... Uh, wheat exporter and you know that will um you know if certain parts of the world that uh buy their wheat from them don't get as much of it uh that is going to push glo- the global price of wheat up and maybe yeah let's explain why that why that happens like that right carl so essentially even though u.s consumers don't you know generally consume wheat products that are made in the ukraine if a huge demand influx comes in in through Europe, uh, and they can't get it from Ukraine where they normally would, they have to come to the United States to get those same wheat exports. And now we're exporting more, which should drive those prices up at least temporarily, right? Well, right. Like a farmer in the United States might say, well, if I can make more money by sending my wheat to Europe or the Middle East, maybe I'll think about doing that a little bit more instead of selling as much of it at home. Right. So that's going to cause our our products made with wheat to probably go up in price a bit. Sure. And uh, on that point, I didn't know if a lot of people know this, but you know the CPI index, the consumer price index, is essentially the components which gauge month over month, year over year uh, changes of inflationary items. And what was shocking to me, Carl, and why I truly do believe that inflation, you know, over this next year from you know obviously one component of hearing from companies thinking that the supply chain will work itself out by you know the beginning of 2023 but also the components of the CPI where you you see uh, used cars and new cars um, are almost an equal weighting to the entire energy sector and we all know if we went shopping last year for a new or used car uh, the astronomical increase in prices that we saw for either new vehicles or used vehicles 
Um, this chart here, year over year, used cars and trucks were up 40% from January 21 to January 22. Um, and new cars were up 12% uh, over that same period of time. And those two added together equal 8% uh, of the CPI index. Another quick point I want to point out on inflation, why we think it will taper off, is that shelter in general, so shelter, home, rents, things like that, uh, accounts for almost 33% of the CPI index, the inflation index. And the average home last year was up, I think I read in the WSJ, it was up almost 20 to 25% on average in the United States. Is that going to happen again? Or, I mean, eventually Probably the supply not. chain- Probably yeah. that Now that mortgage rates are going up more- yeah. And, and, you know, what I think is, is the, the crux of this is what's going to happen with food and energy based off of what's going on in Europe. And, and that's kind of the unknown, which is, it, you know, brings us to, to, to the last point, which is the Fed and, and obviously the enhanced volatility that we've seen around that. Um, what's going on in the markets right now is really being dictated on where the economy is and what the Fed has to do to control inflation, uh, which is their secondary mandate. Um, I think what's happened in, in Russia and Ukraine may, you know, hold the Fed back from maybe raising rates 50 basis points in March. I'd still welcome it, honestly, though. I think you, you know, raise it, get it out of the way, see how the market reacts to it um, and, and move on. We've already seen a pretty significant divergence in the market and, and the corrections that we've seen in individual companies as well as the indexes um, over the last two months. Right. But the rate hike expectations have been backing off a little bit they have, yeah. in the last week. So um, on, on, on the separate note, you know, what we see as, as interesting opportunities is, is looking at things on a macro level, right? Uh, looking at the business cycles, which we've said, you know, maybe 18 to 24 months left in this business cycle. From the beginning, we've said, you know, that we think that this is a much shorter business cycle uh, or even just an average business cycle versus the one that we previously came out of. So what are the things that we're kind of looking at uh, from a macro standpoint uh, when it comes to, you know, general portfolio, you know, overviews? Well, the main thing is um, how much will the, the Fed be able to raise interest rates, raise the Fed funds rate? And what, what will be the timeline for that? When will, uh, when will the yield curve invert? And at that, or flat, get substantially flat or inverted to the point where the bank lending slows down. That's what drives that as a, uh, a recession indicator. Sure. And that's that's the main thing that we're we're looking for. You don't get the big drawdowns in markets or um, or recessions until you know the economy really starts slowing down and. You know, banks don't lend as much and right. or maybe it comes to light that, you know, people have overinvested in a particular area and made a lot of bad loans there, like what happened with housing, mm -hmm. you know, in the mid 2000s. So, you know, the economy isn't growing as fast, but it still is growing and we expect it to continue to grow as long as we don't have too many Fed rate hikes and Sure. Inflation or oil prices don't get out of control. That would be a wild card if something strange happened here with, um, you know, this uh, this military conflict and oil like really went up a lot. Yeah, and and when it comes, um, we're not to, seeing that yet. Right, and and when it comes to investing, you know, what we what we typically try to prefer and the companies that we owned is, you know, something that we discussed this morning is is companies that have pricing power 
whether that's because they, they offer a sticky product or service, right? That makes it really hard for uh, the other businesses to, to, to make those economic shifts away from it. Uh, ones that have strong brands uh, and ones that can, you know, have a, a, a large amount of consumer loyalty. You know, the fundamentals of a lot of these businesses that we've, that we own in, in, in some of the portfolios have really drifted pretty far away from the, the price action that we've seen over the last two months. So, you know, we are, we are watching that and we're, you know, we're looking selectively for opportunities, um, you know, over the next six to 12 months um, uh, within at least the equity portion of the portfolios. Right. I mean, growth, growth investments are starting to uh, look the most attractive right. uh, since really well, since I've known of, you since, since I've known coming you out of the COVID crash. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of good companies out there now that are, you know, stocks are down 20, 30 percent. Right. And then uh, on the riskier stuff, m- much more than that. Right. And we're, we're seeing a lot of strange activity there and where, you know, there are weird reactions to you know, companies' earnings in the after hours. And then the next day, uh, the reaction is is the opposite and, and stocks are rallying after they've been, you know, down an eye-popping amount in the after hours after releasing earnings. And that kind of action uh, is kind of characteristic of, of bottoming too, when sure. things go down a lot and then they come back or, they're starting to, they're just starting to rally on like no news or even on a day like today when things were, were really down, like you could see even in the morning, there were some things that were, that were coming back and up, you know, before a lot of other things were. And especially the beaten up ones. Right. Any final thoughts or or closing remarks on volatility for anybody? Well, it's just, it's just part of uh, being in markets. Right. And it's it's something that we have to the, the only way we can really manage how we deal with it is to uh, keep a good historical perspective. Sure. Have an idea of where things could go and why. And even in this environment, we still have to stick with being growth investors because, you know, you can only buy value companies that aren't growing so cheaply. Right. It's almost and counterintuitive, right? Right. And like the only, the only, the only way you make a make a return on companies that aren't growing is if you buy them for much less than they're worth, and then the valuation gap closes. Right. They don't have they don't thing. have pricing power, right? I mean, industrials, energies, financials, uh, or maybe not financials, but definitely industrials um, and energy. Those companies that have really performed well over the last four or five months. Um, don't have any pricing power. They're all indicative on the underlying commodities that they do business with being at much higher prices to, you know, drive a much larger profit margin. Right. And actually the um, energy sector ETF has been, despite oil going to new high levels, it's actually been down a little bit over the last month as all of this has happened. Well, I look forward to seeing the developments. Obviously it's a, this, you know, we earn our stripes in, in, in times like these. Um, and if anyone obviously has any questions, you know, just make sure to give us a call. We're always here for you. Like I said, uh, our biggest job is being that behavioral therapist or that behavioral finance coach. So uh, the next time we do this, we don't do it next week. The next time we do this will be in the new office, Carl. So I'm looking forward to it. Any, any, uh, any other thoughts? Well, we're, we're looking forward to new scenery and Uh, maybe having a living wall behind us. We'll see, right? There you go. Hey, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in Ukraine. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. Send us a 
Email if you have any questions, info at waylandfinancial.com. Talk to you next week. Bye. All opinions expressed by Andrew Whalen, employees at Whalen Financial, or any other podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Whalen Financial. Whalen Financial is a registered investment advisor. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Whalen Financial may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.